0: Well, you can hear the music playing, just follow the beat, for real, you, well, you can hear the music playing, just follow the beat. <clears throat> this is Tom Hayes, good morning, Blog Talk Radio listeners, I am, uh, this is my show, Upbeat, and I am sitting here, waiting patiently for my guest to appear. That's going to be a very fascinating show, I just finished the book, but uh After having a chance encounter, but nothing's chance, as we know, Uh, upbeat listeners know, nothing happens by accident, nothing happens by chance. But as I was riding my bicycle around beautiful uh, Castle Island here in City Point, I uh, ran into a gentleman who was (laughs) kind of a very funny guy and noticed that I was riding my bicycle with one leg uh, because that's all I have. And approached me and uh, smoking a big old Cuban cigar and quite a character. And the next thing I know, I found out he was an author. And uh, so he gave me a copy of his book, reluctantly, because he has only had uh, two of them left. He's virtually sold out of these. But you can still get them uh, as an e-book on the Internet. But I'd like to start. I hope he shows up soon. (laughs) But I'd like to start with the uh, first paragraph this guy can really write. Um, this description, I think you'll agree, is pretty dead on and uh, absolutely captivating, which made me read the entire book in uh, probably a day. Uh, the season was cha- The title of the book is "In the Short Grass." The author's name is Haskell Robinson. And the uh, oh, here we go. We have Haskell on the line now. Hang on a second. There we go. We'll bring, bring him in. Haskell.
1: Yes, good morning. How are you?
0: Great. Good to hear from you. I was a little worried, but you're okay. Yes, sir. Pascal?
1: Yes, hello.
0: You're, you're, you're there?
1: Yes, I am.
0: All right, great. Well, I was just telling the audience about your book and how fascinated and compelling it was. And uh, I'm ready. Do you want me, I'd like to read the first paragraph. Is that all right with you?
1: Surely.
0: All right, All uh, right. The season was changing. Summer was going south, and blustering autumn winds were charging into Boston, my hometown. A near decade of unrest in the neighborhoods was winding down. The, quote, social experiment, end quote, implemented by outside carpetbaggers and liberals had failed miserably, leaving deep wounds to its people and their reputation. Forced integration of public school children without much planning, and inside knowledge of inner city values caused a volcanic eruption of emotions that left a disaster in its wake. South Boston, to my east, was almost maligned beyond repair for decades and deemed a racial cauldron of thugs. Education suffered greatly as rebellion took to the forefront. School children were forced to leave the sanctity of safe, familiar environment. And dropped in places where cab drivers were afraid to pick up fares. The real fight was not over race, but mandated relocation to places the media had labeled dangerous and uninviting. Judge Garrity of an affluent suburb to the West had instigated the insanity to improve the quality of education in the city. The citywide experiment was a total failure and education suffered. Wow, that's pretty pretty darn good writing there, Haskell. Thank you. Did you uh, did you ever pen anything before? I mean, did you have a, a as they say a proclivity to the pen uh, earlier, any time earlier in your life?
1: Well, I think uh, going through the Catholic school system, uh, we were more fed English rather than math, and it turned out I did a lot of writing. In uh, middle school and high school, but I never, you know, penned anything for everyone else to read. This is kind of my first venture down the road.
0: So obviously, but you, you like obviously liked writing. It shows in your writing here.
1: Oh yeah, I, I, I have a way with words and uh, communicating. You know, even person to person.
0: Yeah, great. Uh, uh, and, uh, are you a reader? A big reader?
1: I don't read. I don't read enough. I. I um... I don't.
0: Need other <laughs> now that's to me. There is an amazing gap. Your language is that of, uh, in my opinion, of any great author. I mean, I don't know any authors who write more powerfully or more descriptive than that, or more forceful. And yet, so where where do you think you pick up this this language, this uh, ability I, to? I
1: just, I just think I was born innate. In just it just came. I don't know. Maybe it was a gift from God. You never know. But I. I don't read much of anything. I I can't sit still. I I think i got too much ADHD going on to read someone else's stuff, unless it's fast-paced, you know. Amazing.
0: Well, you know, know, this kind of fits into our conversation the other day about uh, innate uh, innate abilities, you know, talents, uh, the fact that you you came up. One of my favorite expressions these days is, and it came up in our conversation was, not driving the bus, and I didn't even prompt that, and out, out of your mouth came the same uh, exact uh, phrase. you remember
1: that? Uh, well, sure, certainly that's more of a, uh, you know, the higher power, that, you know, things happen for a reason, and, um, you know, we shouldn't stress in everyday situations, because we, we don't have the control, we need to have a faith that someone's guiding us, and someone's driving the bus know, good old-fashioned AA type of stuff, you know, that, you know, try to write my ship, but my ship was lifting. If you read on into the book, you know, life had told me the curveballs, and, uh, you know, a lot of pain came with those curveballs. And as in the book, I, I sort of self-medicated, and uh, well, that's not a good combination. Yeah, well, kind of you know...
0: Yeah. Again, you know, all my life I had been, you know, my as you know. Uh, why don't you tell? Why don't you tell the audience what you said when you saw me pedaling? <laughs> you, you're right. You're a guy that uh, as a man of action. You were sitting on a bench smoking a cigar, and as I came down um, toward you, you said, "Do you remember?"
1: I, I said, "Tom." I, I didn't say Tom. I didn't know you. I didn't even know who you were. I said, "Hey, pal, where's your leg? <laughs> you're missing your <laughs> leg, by the way." And you re- and you retorted. Uh, Oh, my God, my, my I am missing my leg. And the look just, you know, falling off about, you know, 10 miles a time. And, I thought, and, God, and again,
0: uh, you and I believe in the same axiom that there are no accidents and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. that we met for a reason. And uh, we had a great conversation, and it was a gorgeous day. And you know, not many people have the the nuts to to say what you say. And people, you know, people in this country. It's isn't it amazing that we are a country that loves victims? Can you you want to talk a little bit about that?
1: Well, I mean, you know, when I think there's a lot of finger points. I think that's like a, you know, that's like a character defect. It's always easier. Oh, uh, you mean Vic? Well, I'd like to just say maybe I'm getting off base here, but. People love, you know, the defense mechanism is to make the other guy look better. Look what he's doing. Look what she's doing. You know what I mean? They're not taking their own inventory, and they might be part of the problem. And I did a lot of that. You know, when I was out there, my thinking thinking was I, I blamed other people. I blamed situations. Instead of looking in the mirror and saying, wow, you know, maybe, you know, all this, uh, you know, medicated that I was doing. I mean, my book is a recovery book. I don't know if you that, but it's about a guy that realized that, you know, the guy in the mirror might be, you know, like Michael Jackson, so on, but he, this guy, you know, some of it might be me, you know. Like, we get ourselves into so many situations where we're actively using alcohol and drugs to medicate, and being sober now five years, it's boring. I mean, my ship just is on a coast right now. It's unbelievable. You know, there's no drama. There's no this. There's no that. I'm not little over my shoulder. You know what I mean? So to me, it, it, it's just, you know, maybe if you give up that one thing, which I call the, you know, the one thing is the booze and the drugs. you can have everything. I would have never wrote this book. I mean, I'd be looking for the next hit instead of sitting down writing this book. You know what I mean? I was preoccupied with my medication. Now, as I, to, I told you the day I met you, we were looking at the ocean, the weeds, and stuff, how beautiful you have time to just to be a human being, you know, and, instead of a, a human chaser, you know.
0: A human being instead of a human human
1: chaser, is that what you said? You know, yeah, like cha- you know, you're chasing the high. You know, I mean, when when you get rid of drugs and booze, you you, you become uh, you know your senses. Oh my night, nice, a nice day. I mean, if you're out there active, you know, in, in the throes of addiction, you're not looking at a sunset. You're not looking at the ocean, the cool breeze. I mean, you're, you're just you know oblivious to everything around you except for that, you know, that next pick me up, that next you know dosage, or whatever you want to call it, you know. Well, you but know, I, I it's hope, funny that you say go ahead. But I hope this book will have some people, you know, maybe accept that. Hey, look, you know, maybe I do. Maybe I should try a, a different way to cope. You know, that's all. I mean, it could it could be instrumental in someone else looking at. You know, why am I always you know in these jams and these Well, You know, someone has to rescue me. You know, why is it always me? I mean, is life you know, that unlucky? You know, but it, it has a lot to do with, the, you know, the, th- the things that we uh, put in our system, you know, and the way we acquire them and stuff. You know, you it, it just, you know, you're not a, a whole person when you're getting high. And I developed into, like, an everyday situation at the end. It is a disease of progression. And at the end, I was, you know, compulsively chasing drugs and alcohol. You know, so, I mean, that's why I kind of... Have that message in the forefront of this book. It is a recovery book, and, and it's kind of entertaining as well. I mean, there's a lot of uh, you know crazy things that went on. But um, go ahead, Tom, back to you. <laughs> well, no, I,
0: I, I, you know, you, you talk about the inability to uh, see a sunset or enjoy a good day, and to just keep going and the addictions. And I, I, I have to comment that you know one of my. <clears throat> Maybe my path, and I'm certain sure it is um, part of the reason that I was blessed to live, because you know I had cancer at the age of 13 uh, in a lethal form of it. Uh, only 5% survived in those days, and today it's it's about 50% with all of the uh, the advances they've made. But that's fit, you know I don't want to toss a coin on my life, and so if you can imagine that every time you flip the coin, <clears throat> 95% of the time. Uh, it was the it was the wrong choice. I mean, so I w- was gone. So I obviously uh, have an amazing zest uh, and appetite for living, I mean, and grabbing it all and enjoying it all. And it just drives me crazy when I see people ignoring the most magnificent parts of it, which is, you know, everybody says that the best things in life are free, and they are. And to see, you know, we live in, here in South Boston, and it's uh, I call it an open gym, and you see people out there running, And they've actually, you know, sequestered themselves off. I mean, addictions aren't just drugs and alcohol. I mean, work becomes an addiction. Money becomes an addiction. Things become an addiction. And when people are focused on those things, exactly what you're saying, you know, I'll tell people, look at the sunset, you know, or look at the, and they turn around and they might take a quick glance and they look at me like I'm nuts and boom, they're still off on their, you know, particular path that day. So I, I totally agree with you. And it doesn't just necessarily mean drugs and alcohol. It's all the other crazy things that the society yeah. holds as valuable.
1: Uh, you're you're absolutely right, Tom. It's anything that gets in the way of relationships. there could be too much time at the gym, not enough time with the kids, too much jogging. I mean, too much thinking about. You know, I, I know a guy who's addicted to golf. I mean, his family is in ruins. I mean, she, she's like a a golf widow. You know, he's got young kids. It's like. You know, he's in therapy for his golf addiction. I mean, come on, will you? I don't think there's anything that's really healthy. I mean, uh, when an addiction causes you to lie, cheat, or steal, or or hide things, or or it upsets the balance of the family, then maybe it's time to get some moderation. You know, but um, exactly where
0: the yeah, and it's all about values, isn't it? Yeah, you know, and uh, well, you know, one of the things that. You know, I, thought, I couldn't put your book down, and, uh, you know, I mean, I had to eventually, but I uh, I, I had to, to see it all the way through, and, and there aren't many books. Uh, you know, I am a big reader, and there aren't many books that will compel me to keep turning the pages till I get to the end because I did want to know, you know, the final outcome, but it's um, in many ways, I mean, I don't know if you intentionally um, – Decided this, but in many ways, it's a very depressing book in parts.
1: <laughs> it is, yeah. Well, there's life life's life's curveballs, life struggles. You know what I mean? Anyway, yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: Now, you know, I noticed. I mean, I'm hearing your tone this morning, and your tone this morning is, you know, we put ourselves in these situations. Uh, mm-hmm. But when you were writing it, it seemed as though you were, you were certainly starting to shed that light. But I think when, from my perspective, it, it seemed to me that when you were writing this, and this had happened to me when I was started my autobiography, you're so in the past, you're so in the situation you're writing about, that what came out a lot of times is that you were a victim.
1: Did you oh, feel I, that I when you were writing was that? A victim. I, I I think a, a lot of times I was around bad people, other people who are sick and suffering, you know what I mean? Other, yeah. A lot of the problems we have are with other addicts, uh, gamblers, uh, and some of my businesses that have failed uh, were people trying to you know extract money from me to cover their gambling addiction, you know, and uh, a lot of it is unfair, but life's not fair, you know. I mean, we know that we know we are victims. It's how we handle, how we cope. That's what I'm saying. I knew I was being victimized, but I chose not to, to fight the good fight. I chose to self-medicate. And to bring that rage that was inside me, to throw gasoline on the fire, and fight it that way. Sometimes you got to, like, what's his name? says you got to know what to hold and when to fold, you know. You know you're being victimized, but you know what? Walk away. You know, find a peaceful alternative. Don't stand and fight that fight, you know, high. or You know, so, not in the right that, time.
0: You, you, know, you, hit, you just answered it for me, and I want to elaborate yeah. on that. You... All uh, throughout the book, I'm saying to myself, why doesn't this guy just walk? Why doesn't he just let go? Why doesn't he, you know, well, you said it's fold him. Uh, because what you did, you, I mean, you met all these creeps along the way. I mean, you saw, it, it's amazing. I grew up, well, I went to school where you grew up. I went to Mission High. And uh, I totally understand Mission Hill. And to me, it was You know, a lot of days, I I lived over in Dudley Street, you know, two miles away, up over the hill, over Elliott Square. And many days, you know, I got on my bicycle and rode to Mission Church, you know, into Mission Church High School. And so, but to me, it was like a vacation. I left an area where I was the minority to at least, you know, there were (laughs) predominance of white people in Mission Hill at that time. And as you mentioned in the book, you know, the hill um was predominantly white yet the projects were predominantly black but in 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 spite of that there was crime everywhere but your experience and my experience and i don't you know again we can there may be a million causes but i think when you start to understand that you're not driving the bus i was put in a situation where in spite of all of the crime and everything around me i was you know i never played into it and yet you seem to over and over again. You you told me recently, and this is one of the questions I want to ask. You have a brother who's very successful, mm-hmm. right? Okay, so and so his experience, do you feel was totally different than yours?
1: Um, I I just think he he. Um... He didn't get caught up in a lot of things. He wasn't the adventurer. I, I think that had, all, you know, he was the young, he was the baby uh, of the he was the youngest, uh, only three in the family, small family for that neighborhood, and I just think he just got out and and just had the willpower just to resist it. A lot of it is you you're having fun when you're in the mix. A lot of it, I mean, I know it's the pain train, but you, you do have a lot of fun. I mean, you live life on the edge a little bit, and you know, it makes life. You know, you're not having a foreign day. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's like I think he all different paths. But I tell you, the problem with me is the ego. You know, that's why I didn't walk away. And when you have ego, the ego, you're edging God out of your program. You're you're taking your own will, and you know what I mean. You're not trying to act like He would act. You know, and this is what we learned in AA. Um, you know, I I was driving the bus. We're doing it like you know the that the song Frank Sinatra's uh, in my national anthem. Oh, yeah, I did it yeah. My way, You know, and good old Frankie, that's a great song. But that's that was my downfall. I did it my way because I thought I was all that. You know what? I'm a big strong guy. You know what I mean? I can use my words, and boom. You know, next thing is something else might be coming at you. Know what I mean, I always thought at the, you know that I was the invincible almighty I am, and that led me deeper and deeper and not having, you know, the courage to walk away and to say, look, this is a losing entity. I'm only going to get further further into trouble. But I'm going to still
0: keep fighting. It it, it, it was so evident in the book. I mean, it was like... Oh,
1: it's crazy. I mean, it was a a psychiatrist, psychologist who had me in therapy. He said, listen, we've had a lot to talk about, you know what I mean? It's just, you know, it's um, it's, it's crazy to go from one situation, but that's the life of a garden variety alcoholic. We just keep stumbling, you know. I did well until my biggest curveball, you read in the book, was my divorce and the young children were held hostage, you know, held away from me. And that was something, I, I you know, I couldn't fake it. I mean, that was the dagger, you know, that, that was the, the straw that really turned me into, you know, a maniac in the streets and that's you know that was my curveball that i that really you know i did well i mean i, I coasted along had some fun but when that big you know that midlife crisis left about 43 years old which is probably midlife i would think i think that's that's the whole uh the gist of the sperm the insanity you know i, I well, couldn't you know, handle that go ahead I couldn't handle that. That was the big curveball, you know. The other stuff, you know, it was fun, and, and you know, nothing was at stake. There were no kids. There was no houses. There was just, you know, um, you know, a decade going through my 20s on the merry-go-round, you know, not over-indulging, a high-functioning, but still, you know, a substance abuser. And then when the business came, I, you know, I put the plug in the jug and just picked my spots, and then when the divorce came, it was back to old behaviors, old hanging out. You know, um, you know, I reverted back to what was comfortable, and you know, it's a disease of progression. So, you know, that that's pretty much, you know, how I explain uh, the problems. You know, it's, well, yeah, and you places and things. You know, that's where it comes. Well, and and,
0: and and so so would you say that was the bottom? I mean, that's the bottom you had to hit.
1: Oh, the bottom I had to hit was, as you read on in the book, is the, uh, you know, the the jails and the institutions and things like that. That's when you know, it's like, wow. You know, when you're out there and you're actively, I mean, you're not on a bottom, you're you're getting high, you're on a high. You hit bottom is when there's nothing left, there's no one to call, you know, the money's gone, you know. It's like, you know, the money's gone, you got to (laughs) go, Well, you know, now
0: that you've, well, I've got to bring this up at this point. You know, again, um, we're not in control. We're not driving the bus. You mentioned, I mean, you know, you know what I love about this book and your attitude and everything else? You know, there's a lot of things. I've been reading about spirituality. You know, once, um, you know, I knew I was blessed. I mean, when I, everybody told me that, you know, I got into the medical field and every single day doctors would ask, you know, why was I limping and, And I would tell them what I had, and they would just look at me and go, no, you didn't, you'd be dead. And so every day I had a reminder how lucky I was to be alive. And so I always went for the gusto in in what I believe are very healthy ways. And, you know, again, I thought that I was, you know, I started to believe the same thing, that I was driving the bus and things, you know, and, and that's the whole thing is that when that ego takes over. And what you're doing with your book is we're getting away from, You know, if you pick up a spiritual book and you listen, you read something by Wayne Dyer or Deepak, I mean, these guys sound like saints, you know, like, you you know, there's this other world of spirituality, and if you do this and if you connect with the big, but yet they don't have the nitty gritty um, experience that you're talking about. I mean, you're dealing with. Uh, I mean, th- these guys, for the most part, you know, Deepak Chopra's a doctor, Wayne Dyer's a doctor, and he had a rough beginning as a kid. Who the heck didn't? I mean, most of them, except for these kids that grew up in wealthy families, et cetera. But you're talking about stuff that y- y- you're saying, here I am on the streets, and the reason that I'm totally out of control, the reason that um, my life is a mess is because I took the wheel, mm-hmm. right?
1: Right. Right. And
0: that it, but in spite of that, in spite of the fact that you're taking the wheel still, you were being, I mean, t- t- talk about, I and mean, there's a couple of points in the book, but one one of the things I'm trying to get to here, t- tell a story about being <laughs> in in the convenience store in the lottery.
1: Oh, that was bizarro. Uh, I, you know, a guy was uh, a new store in new store the block, Dorchester, um, I walked in there, and um, I was unhappy with the people who were running the store, and he, I said, I want a $10 ticket. He handed me a ticket, but I just had, just had a resentment, and I said, no, I want that ticket, and I took another ticket, and the one he had handed me gave to the guy behind me was a million-dollar winner, and I said, at that time, if someone gave me a million dollars, I'd have been overdosed. That would have been too much money for me to handle in an active addiction. So I think I mean that's that was a good a good you know turn of my luck, not getting that kind of money when I'm out there sick and tough and getting high, you know so amazing
0: i mean you know again, when I talk about this stuff, people look at me and they roll their eyes because they're so grounded in the physical plane, the material plane, and you get glimpses like that that hey, wait a minute, there is something driving the bus, there's some reason that I didn't oh, yeah. get that right
1: as I say, the accident in my book when I went through the windshield, no one survived. Exactly, that no was my next
0: I... question. That was exactly no my next question. No one I would
1: survive. Uh, I mean, nobody gets propelled fifty feet in the air, bouncing off telephone poles, and out of the hospital in, in a short three months and is walking around back to his usual tricks. You know, that was yeah. Give a little anymore.
0: more detail on that. That is one of the major points of the book: is that you, the ego, you wants to t- take yourself out. Right, I mean, you're at a, such a point. You're so depressed, but you don't, you're you losing the battle in the divorce. You're losing well, your conscience is, with your kids. I'm losing everything,
1: but I don't think I had a choice then. I think that was a clinical thing where, like I said in the book, it was like a spell had come over me. I don't yep. think I made a conscious I didn't have a choice there. It was my body was detoxing from um, narcotics. There was a lot of turmoil in my life. I think that was like, you know, you got the measles, you know. I think it was, yep. by, you know, bio biophysical, biological, it was a clinical depression. There was no, here's a million bucks, here's your kids back, here's your wife back, here's your business back, you're all right, you're, you know, bonish from everything bad. I don't think that would have helped. I don't think anything would have got me out except, you know, going into a coma and come out of the hospital. You know, there was no depression. I didn't even go to counseling after an attempted suicide because I was in such a great, you know, I had, was in the coma, I was in the, in the bedridden for you know, two months in city hospital, but it was it was a, a clinical depression. That one had nothing to do with the ego. That was just something that captures you and gets a hold of you. And it's, it's like I wrote in the book, it was like a spell. You know, it's like someone put a, a voodoo pin in me or something. You know, I couldn't help it. But, well, you um, know,
0: I I, I recently. Um... Uh, you know, someone very, very close to me also had, you know, one of those incidents happened, and the way that they explained it to me is, you know, something's wrong, but you don't know what because it's totally outside of you.
1: Yeah, it, it was. I, I, just knew, uh, I just knew. I just knew I had to die. I mean, someone asked me if anything I can do for you, and I said, just throw dirt over me because I'm going in the hole. You know. And in spite
0: of that. And guy, in spite of that, describe the accident. Well, how what you did. First of all, well, you cut I mean, your I wrist.
1: I was. I went to a very uh, pristine part of the, uh, the suburbs. It was a lake off of Route 128 and in Waltham. and I'm out in this field, and I'm, I'm slicing up my wrists every which way from Sunday, and you know, the blood's still in the jacket, but I'm not dying fast enough. I looked down and I said, "God, I'm wallowing in poison ivy." And I said, now here's, here, "You know, here's the, the thought process: it's like you want to die, but you're worried about getting poison ivy. Well, <laughs> so maybe I really didn't want to die. But anyhow, I hopped in the vehicle, and I made five dry runs of about, I don't know, a thousand feet, and stopped in front of this pole. And then I got back, and I just, I, I just gassed it. I, I know it's going about 70." And I hit the pole head-on, I cut it in half, and I remember going through the window. I remember walking around, you know, everything was dislocated, hips, shoulders. I remember walking around and being questioned by either a, a, some kind of police or a, a medical uh, examiner, and then then I went out. You know, he asked me a few questions, and then I went out, and I woke up in the Leahy Clinic, you know, several, I think it was several days and later, and then I started my recovery, and uh, the clinical depression had gone. I mean, that that you know, I well, I was fine after like the three months in the in the hospital, bedridden. I came out and I had a real zest for life. I was back at it. You know, whatever the spell had been cast on me was now admonished, and I was I was great when I came out. I looked great. I lost a lot of weight. You know, I was still about forty-four years old. You know, and uh, I, I get back up on the horse, but again. I, I, You know, I, I didn't do my homework, and I got into another business that was, you know, not like the one I had been in for 17, 18 years. I mean, it was a bad choice, but it was, you know, I, I was compelled to make money to work, you know, and uh, that's all I knew it was, it was how to make money and how to work for myself. I never really had the other skills to go work because of the computer skills and all that stuff. I just knew how to make cash every day and make lots of it, you know. So I got into a business without much research and uh, without giving out time. Again,
0: it started, yeah, it started all over again, didn't it? it uh, mm-hmm. But again, you know, I mean, I use the word miracle pretty freely because I believe anything, you know, all these little things that happen. I mean, it's a miracle that we wake up every day as far as I'm concerned. You know, a sunset is a miracle. But, man, you, you know, what you did, I mean, you <laughs> you cut your wrists. <clears throat> I mean, I'm laughing because you're, you're still you're okay here today. You cut your wrist; it's not enough. You worry about the poison, and then you drive up for five test runs, and then finally plow through a telephone pole, go through the wind windshield, and still you're okay.
1: Yeah, amazing. I huh? mean,
0: that's. Would you would you call, What do you? What's your take on it? What's your interpretation of that?
1: Oh, uh, I was definitely, uh, you know, God intervened and said, no, it's not your time, and. Uh... You know, he kept me around for my beautiful kids, and uh, they would have been devastated. I couldn't imagine what what must have, would have run through their uh, minds at, at, like, maybe 7 and then 12 years old, burying their dad, who was very close to them, you know. Maybe they might have had guilt about it because, you know, they were used in the divorce process. And I just figured, well, how would it affect them? But I had no thought when I was attempting, you know, the self-destruction of how they would feel because it, it was a clinical thing there was nothing if they would you know gave me a house with my kids on a hill i still was going to do it because it was a spell you know it was just
0: right, something exact well i never understood it till it came really close to me and to see somebody uh crazy i mean just is uh, oh, insane and it, and when when you are that you, you you know they they don't know they're they're lost and and i totally I, I never experienced it, but well, I can. For people out
1: there, what you have to do is call an emergency number if anyone even makes a verbal threat of it, and just have them put in a safe place, uh, in some kind of holding area or some kind of uh, you know a mental hospital. If someone is saying that and they're in that spell, where they you know nothing's going to stop them, they have to be put away. You have to get them sanctioned or whatever they I don't know what the word is. Uh, yeah, that's totally. I
0: I in fact that's, that's exactly. I mean, Right, I that's exactly what I, I did, mentioned. and then they were it was just fabulous what they were able to do. Uh, so, okay, so let me, I guess the question that came to me throughout reading the book, now that you have this insight, now that you understand things from a spiritual viewpoint, mm-hmm. not just a, a physical uh, point, what would you have done differently? Say, uh, would you... And all of those businesses, every single one of those businesses, even though you were making a lot of money, it was just tarnished with, you know, these tawdry types of people. I mean, you know, yeah. you, you, there were always hustlers. Well, no matter what
1: yeah. Those businesses being big cash businesses, not so much the first business, but, the you know, the canteen truck, they tend to attract a lot of, uh, and back in the day it was organized crime a lot of, uh, you know, friend, fringe guys. Well, you know, it's a, when there's that much cash going around things get seedier, there's no more organized crimes in the canteen truck business. Now the police have a stake in it, especially in Everett up there and they become the organized criminals. You know, uh, that's, I mean, you know, that, that business was tough. It was a tough, it was a tough racket. There's, when there's a lot of cash at stake, money can be tossed around and, uh, you know, so what made you
0: a, right? So the part that I'm reading the book is like, oh my God, with all of the danger involved here, with all of the violence, with all of the things that were happening, every day, you were in in battle. I mean, you were getting up to end. a oh, yeah. war.
1: Towards, towards the end, but I enjoyed that. To me, that was the fun part. I mean, the FBI wanted me to come in and flip on them and, and be protected and testify, but I said, listen, I'm having too much fun with this. You guys <laughs> think they're gonna take. They're going to take the almighty me with the ego out, these little punks from a little town north. I said, are you kidding me? You know, that you don't know. You don't know. You've got to take your will back. I mean, give it give it to someone else to handle. Give it to the higher power. Walk away. Should have walked away. Would have saved so much devastation and, and courts and, you know, and judges and lawyers and everything. If I had just known, but I said, look, this is not going good. Let's get up and pack it in. You know, that's all. Just say look. But I mean, I enjoyed. I, to me, it, it was like a, a test match. It was like a, a game you like. You know, and uh, it, it was everything I liked. You know, there was violence, there was threats. There, you know, it was just wide open insanity. And that's you know, you come to my you came to my office because I'm insane. You want to try to act insane around me,
0: the Almighty Me?
1: I think come on. And that, that that was a downfall. I mean, that, you know, plus, you know, I was highly medicated throughout the, that, those business years. I mean, the first business, I was sober as a judge because I was transporting, you know, cardinal law, you know, heads of business and corporate people. I was dealing, you know, but that business there, I mean, you know, I, I was like, you know, wired to sound. I mean, I was plugged in in the morning. I get up, I was supercharged, ready to go to battle, you know. It was... You know,
0: <laughs> Well, that's the answer I was looking for. I said, how does it because it, it isn't, uh, you, you, your description of, again, you're so immersed in the battle while you're writing it that that doesn't be, come clear. At no point did I hear, um, you know, whether you, uh, you know, were, you know, that you would have walked. I mean, but you're saying that right now. You would have walked.
1: Oh, yeah, in hindsight, because I'm thinking clearly now. And I wouldn't have engaged those threats and stuff. I mean, I I don't know. Uh, I think, you know, people aren't stupid. Most of the people in that business are wired to sound. And that's an immediate attack point, you know. It's like, okay, we know he's on something. We're aligned with a, a police force. We can use that to get rid of him and get a valuable thing that I had created. They were after the economic. They wanted the money route that I created. They knew I was getting high. And, you know... It's a, it's a legal thing to get high. So they have something on you. In this world, I know the people that, uh, you know, do devious things, they always have something on somebody. The first thing you want to do is try to find a weak point on somebody if you are trying to gain a, an upper hand. And the weak point on me was, look, he's using narcotics. We're aligned with the Edward police, you know. We want his route. you know. So, I mean, whatever happens, whatever we do, even if I would have got shot that day, They'd have thrown a gun in my hand and said, I shot first, you know, and they would have done a toxicology and said, look, this kid's got more narcotics than than the pharmacy, you know. I mean, you're all in that. You what I'm saying? If you watch Denzel um, Washington. Oh, yeah, I saw the, the, yeah, the gangster, was
0: it? What was it called?
1: American Uh,
0: Gangster.
1: No, no, Denzel Washington's called, it was an old, it was a recovery movie. He was flying a plane while intoxicated, right? Did a perfect oh. job. Saved most of the crew. The, the jet plane crashed. But the fact that he was playing the game under the he did eight years in prison in the movie. Just for the fact he did a courageous thing, he got the plane landed. But the fact that he had it in his system, you're automatically wrong when you're getting high in any situation. You know, even if you're dealing with scumbags and irreputable people, if you're high, you're already at a disadvantage all the way around. That's what's so important about giving up that one thing to get everything, you know?
0: Absolutely. That, that kind
1: of, that, that's the message in that book. I mean, especially if, you don't, you know, if you're not doing things in moderation. You know, a guy has a wine every night, fine and dandy, fantastic. Doesn't change his thinking patterns, doesn't involve his relationships, doesn't hurt anybody. And another thing I'll tell you, hurt people hurt people. So everyone that's coming at you trying to hurt you is hurting themselves. Exactly. No, Great
0: point. Great point. So you're I mean, right. If, if, I, if you're happy, you don't mess with
1: people. No. If you're ever in a good space, and, and you know, whatever's getting you through, whatever higher power, you have a little spirituality going on, you're not hurting inside. You're not going to want to hurt somebody. You know what I mean? And hurt exactly. people hurt people is one of the best things that I've come to realize. And in those situations, I was dealing with a lot of hurt people. I mean, they were losing their houses. Bookies were putting notes on their wife's cars. Joey's got to pay up. Well, guess what? This car's going to the barbecue. So they had to do, you know, they had to do what they had to do because they're, they're, you know, gambling. I, mostly it was gambling up there, you know. But, you know, a lot of them were getting high as well. I mean, you know, I, I just <laughs> I just landed another den of inequity, you know, another quick, maybe impulsive, bad choice. But, I mean, my part was just as, as bad as theirs. I mean, I, I was, you know... Blasted right, every day exactly. on
0: the water. So, wow. So I, I tell you, this was a uh, – uh, 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 did you enjoy yourself? We're going to have to close it down, though, because we're going to be shut yeah. off here in a second. Yeah. But uh, did you enjoy yourself? Thanks
1: for the call. And, uh, you know, thanks for promoting Haskell Robertson's in the short grass.
0: In the awesome. short grass. And how can how can people get the book?
1: They can go on uh, online and Google it up in, or Barnes & Noble or – Amazon. It's in all venues. It's it's uh, it's out there. If they have that title and that author, Haskell Robinson, in the short press, you can get a hold of it. You can get a notebook as cheap as the cheapest way to go. I mean, if you don't know. Yeah, right. Like notebook, uh, Amazon,
0: or Kindle, right?
1: Kindle, all that good stuff.
0: Well, congratulations. It's a fantastic read. Uh, you you tell an amazing story, and I uh, I hope we can do this again.
1: All right, Tom. Thanks for the call.
0: All right. Thank you, Haskell. All right. Well, we You can hear the music playing, just follow the beat For real, you can feel the excitement in the air Leave your worries behind and just forget about your cares.
1: Grab a Frank at Fenway and see us all and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Join us today during the Jeep
0: Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe.